Yes, and welcome back to Talkin' Nicks. I'm Tom Piccolo, coming at you with another midweek episode. We're taping this Wednesday night, moments after the final buzzer sounded in, sounded in that uh, Nicks Sixers nail-biter. This will be a, a recap slash analysis of that game, so let's get into it. Let's talk Nicks. Hello, and uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Talking Knicks, where the Knicks just fell 104 to 109 in Philadelphia to the 76ers. Here with me to talk about it is Talking Knicks co-host Greg Poon. Greg, what's going on? Not much, Tom. Just watched the Knicks lose, so just another day in the life. Yeah, I did that as well, that we have in common. Um, so... I want to start with crunch time. I guess just for some context, in case you didn't watch this game, the Knicks were actually leading for a lot of this game, and, it, and a lot of this game was actually fun to watch. It was it was refreshingly exciting basketball. Um, the Knicks were actually making shots. So with that context, I kind of want to get into crunch time when this game sort of fell apart. Um, with about five and a half minutes left, one of the the biggest plays of the game, I thought, was was Randall got the ball. He got a rebound, or, or it may have been off a turnover, but it was in transition, and he had R.J. Barrett wide open in the left corner. And I saw this like all over Nick's Twitter. Like I saw it posting and toasting, put it on their Twitter feed. Um, Schwinny Poo, if you follow him on on Twitter, he's a good Nick's follow. He also put a video up there. And just R.J. Barrett was sitting wide open in the corner, and Randall refused to even look at him for for several seconds. He almost turned the ball over, and then as the shot clock was winding down, uh, I think Marcus Morris just sort of jacked up a, a contested mid-ranger, which led to a, a Ben Simmons run out and uh, and a two-point basket to to tie the game up at 90 to 90. Um, and and Greg, that was kind of indicative of a lot of the criticism that fans have of the Knicks offense, especially in late game situations is that it kind of slows down and all the ball movement we saw, which we'll get to eventually, but all the ball movement we saw initially sort of fell apart and, and the game kind of became more ISO heavy and mid range heavy. Yeah. And that's, that's what happens when, you know, you, you don't have an identity and you got, you know, you don't even know who, who the go to guy is in crunch time. And, you know, uh, after you have Marcus Morris be that guy against the Mavericks, maybe Julius Randle still thinks he's the best player on the team. He makes the most money, so he's he's got to show out. And I mean, he's been good in crunch time lately. So you just never know what you're going to get with Julius Randle. You really don't. And I mean, it's another situation where when you look at the box score, he finished with 17 points, eight rebounds, two assists, three steals. Um, some really nice defense actually uh, one-on-one against Embiid uh, towards the end of the game there, and he finished plus two. So, you know, it's it's hard to pin this one on Randall, <laughs> um, though he he did uh, make it make some mistakes down the stretch here. But but just going further into, into this crunch time end of game situation. So the next possession down, R.J. Barrett took a really tough mid ranger that really never had a chance. And again, that's kind of where all this criticism is coming from of the Knicks offense. 
And that led to the 76ers just getting out in transition. It was kind of a theme of the night that, that Philadelphia was just pushing the ball off misses, off any time, like any situation they could. Ben Simmons in particular was just getting the ball and running out. Um, and, and in this situation, Mike Scott, who was just – he was on fire in the second half here. He hit a three in transition. Marcus Morris was was late to contest him and, and kind of was – a theme all night Morris was late to contest on Mike Scott threes um, multiple times throughout the night and that put Philadelphia up 93 to 90 and and the Knicks never tied or took the lead again yeah and that that Um, three came like I don't know a minute and a half after Mike Scott had hit a previous like deep three 29 footer looked longer looked like a bad shot but then once he hits that you gotta you gotta know that he's he's firing away and you got to get out as soon as you can on him. And that really that, that put the nail in the coffin. I know the, the Knicks put up a, a decent fight the rest of the way, but that, like you said, they never really recovered from it. Yeah, and there and there was kind of one moment where you thought they would have a chance. And it was about with, with – I mean, there, there are a few plays in between here, but um, – is mostly because just guys missing shots and turning the ball over. But then with about two and a half minutes to play, um, Randall got a steal. This is actually with about two two minutes left. Um, Randall got a steal and a foul, and he went to the free throw line with two minutes left with a chance to tie the game, and he missed the first and made the second. So this, this was uh, when the Sixers were up 96-95. And uh, and I don't know. I, just part of me feels like if Randall were able to make both free throws and tie it up and sort of even the the playing field, that it could have been a different situation. But the thing is, on the next Seventy uh, Sixers position possession, Embiid turned the ball over, and Marcus Morris, and maybe the biggest play of the game, he had a fast break where he uh, he went up. He got a lot of contact. There was no foul call. Uh, Clyde was was pretty pissed about that. Uh, what do you think about that, Greg? Did you think that was a foul? So I was watching on mute, and uh, I saw the 76ers get the rebound and then go up the court, and I was very confused. So uh, I think Marcus Morris ended up in the ground. Uh, so obviously as a Knicks fan, I assumed it was a foul, but they didn't show a replay of it to my knowledge, and it was just like uh, that seemed very important. I would like to know if that was a foul or not because, you know, maybe he just – was going so fast in the in the heat of the moment, he just went up and assumed he was going to get fouled, and he didn't. And that's what the refs didn't call. But we don't know because uh, they didn't show replay to me, or I missed it. So I, I assume he got fouled. I would like to think that he got fouled at least. Otherwise, it was a very bad shot. I don't know that it did it hit the rim. I think uh, I don't believe it did, and I think it, it actually missed so badly that. Um it actually turned into kind of a fast break transition opportunity for the Sixers on the other end, and, and Scott hit another three, mm. um, which was kind of the nail in the coffin. Um, but I, I will say that there were a few plays kind of interspersed throughout this where Marcus Morris was the ball handler and and Mitchell Robinson set screens for him, and it was just a high pick and roll, and Morris was finding Mitch on, on back-to-back alley-oops, and it was awesome. Like, uh, it kind of made you think, hey, they they should do that more. This play looks really difficult to stop. And instead of those those contested mid-rangers that happened kind of in in the 5.30 to 5-minute mark, just run that pick and roll because Mitch is just such a dominant 
force. Like there, there's really nothing that that guys can do with him because he's such a vertical threat. Yeah, and back to back one handed alley oops, which made it even cooler because usually we're used to seeing Mitch throw it down with two hands. But I, a couple minutes before that, I don't I don't know who it was, but someone tried to run the the pick and roll alley oop with Mitch, and it looked like it was open, and Horford tipped it. Got a piece of it, and then the, the 76ers were yep. going the other way. So that uh, that was tough because that, that, you also thought that that was going to be a, a Mitch alley-oop dunk, and that was going to get us our momentum going again too. But I don't remember what the result of that was. I know that the Sixers ended up with the ball. Yeah, and then, and then it just kind of became a fouling game from there. But um, I, I don't know. I think it's important to go through kind of the, the crunch time possessions because it, it really does help define what a team's identity is and honestly like it was impressive on the offensive end finding that that pick and roll chemistry with Morris as a ball handler because you don't really think of him as much of a distributor and uh and he, he did he found Mitch on a couple on a couple granted they were tough finishes I think like you like you mentioned they were one-handed dunks but I mean there were passes that only Mitch could get to and um I don't know. It gives you a little bit of hope for future crunch time offensive situations, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, you got a guy who can finish. You got to protect the rim at all times when you when you got Mitch in there. So that's drawn at least one defender there. Um, and then you got to – the Knicks just need more – they need a number one guy, you know. It's just tough having Marcus Morris and Julius Randle, who are both two, two or three. Two on an okay team, three on a – more okay team, I guess. Yeah, and, and and rewinding to a little bit earlier in the game, I think the the defining run, I mean, just the the defining moment for from a Knicks perspective in this game was, came in the third quarter, um, when the the Knicks starting lineup opened up on a on a fifteen nothing run to start that third quarter, and it was, I mean. Clyde even said, or maybe it, was, it may have been Breen, who said that it was the best Knicks quarter of the season, and it was up until the end of the third quarter where they, they kind of started to, to lose their momentum. But, I mean, they were really electric to, to begin that third quarter, and they were they were hitting all their mid-rangers, yeah, but they were also, like, getting good shots, moving the ball, moving without the ball. There was just a lot of player movement, and it was, it was probably the most fun I've had watching a Knicks – game or a segment of a Knicks game this season yeah and it was it was everybody doing it too I think uh, at one point they made eight at least eight field goals in a row I don't know if they made the one after that but the run continued after they had made eight field goals in a row I mean you had Marcus Morris hitting like crazy turnaround jumpers everybody just hitting everything Frank hit a hit a hit a jumper that bounced around the rim and went in and it was pretty. I think I also saw on the defensive end, too, I, I think we saw Julius Randle just rip the ball out of Embiid's hands when he tried to do a spin move or something like that. And it, it, the defense fueled the offense, and when the offense is firing, makes it easier to play defense. It seemed like everything was going right. They got the lead up to 77-60, and from there everything went terribly wrong. Yeah, and shortly after that, 77-60 score is when uh, Frank Nielakina subbed out of the game. Isn't that right? Um, I guess the, the tide had kind of sort of started yeah. to turn in the in the Sixers' favor. So yeah, it was it was um, 79-66 when Frank subbed out, I believe. Um, 
Right. And and I guess at that point is kind of when the Knicks really, the wheels really came off. Um, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but I know Clyde mentioned it. I'll, I'll find it for you. Let's see. I know it, Frank at one point had like one, a turnover on the sideline, so the when things had already started to unravel. So he was in the game with 129 left. He came out 79-66, like you said. So it was only a 6-2 to two run at that point. 129 left, and then, you know, end of the quarter, it's already a five-point game, down from 17. So that's an eight-point swing in one minute and 29 seconds after Frank came out of the game. Yeah, and Clyde said in, in total the Sixers went on a 16-3 to run after Frank went to the bench at that point. And, and yeah, that was kind of really what, what spurred the, the 76ers run to get back in the game and eventually take this one. But there were a lot of, I mean, we've kind of harped a little bit on the negatives because that's sort of how the game ended. But overall, there were a lot of positives in this game. And that, that includes Frank, who was, who was really impressive. I, I thought throughout this game, he was, he was aggressive, looking for his own shot. He finished with 17 points, surprisingly zero assists because I felt like he was moving the ball pretty well. But he was 6 of 8 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, and 3 of 4 from the free throw line. And I don't know, just the way he was scoring, I thought was, um, I don't know, it was just in a variety of different ways. He There was one play where, this was in the first half, so I don't know if you caught this, but he had like two wide open mid-range jumpers in a row. And instead of taking them, he sort of dribbled out and just took a step back three and hit it, which wasn't something I'm, I'm accustomed to seeing Frank do. And, um, and just in some other situations, he was looking for a shot a lot more than usual. Yeah, and his, his confidence is really, really going up. Like I mentioned, during that 15-0 run, he had a he had a, a mid-range jumper, um, three three for four from the line, two for four from three, six for eight overall. Is is just that's really good for anybody. If Mitchell Robinson was doing six or eight, we'd be happy. And that's Frank, your point guard, doing it. A guy who we have grown accustomed to scoring, you know, four points maybe often, and he put up 17. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and during that, that third quarter run, he had that I, – I remember there was a side pick and roll with Gibson where he took like a, a very um, kind of, I don't know, like off-kilter floater that was a lot earlier than you'd expect a guy to take a floater, and it went in. I feel like we've seen him take that shot before and it get nowhere close to the rim. And so some of this, <laughs> I you know, you wonder how sustainable some of these things are because it's not like he's getting to the rim and like, you know, getting really good shots, but – um, you know, as the shot clock was expiring one time, he, he made a really nice move on James Ennis and, and threw a pump fake, got him up in the air, and, and then hit that, that mid-range jumper as the shot clock expired. So, I don't know. He, he definitely is – he takes a lot of mid-range shots, but the stroke looks good, and, and if he's hitting them, you know, I'm not going to complain about it. Um, yeah, overall, he was plus two in the game. Again, so surprisingly – Zero steals, just the one block, and no assists. But uh, when he's hitting like that, I'm not going to be one to complain. Yeah, and one one thing about when Frank came out and uh, everything went haywire, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. was very good in the first half. He had 10 points. I, I know that the, the commentators are saying uh, during the third quarter, the funny thing about Frank playing so well during this crazy run is that Dennis Smith Jr. hasn't gotten back into the game after scoring 10 points in the first half. So 
That was that was another interesting thing. And then he, and I think he scored all ten of those. I, I believe it was in the second quarter. He really controlled that second quarter, the pace of it, and he looked super aggressive. And he looked really fast again, which is always a good sign for him. Um, it's when he looks a little lethargic and, and slow that you're like, is, is he right? But uh, no, he, he looked really good in this one. And yeah, it, it makes you kind of wonder whether Fisdale can can afford to get both Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank on the court at the same time, especially in games like this one where R.J. Barrett, who played a good amount of time at the two, he was he was really struggling. I, I felt like he, he couldn't really find his shot. He was a little out of rhythm. He had four turnovers, Barrett did. And so, yeah, I mean, De- the fact that Dennis Smith Jr. only played 15 minutes is curious considering how well he was doing. Yeah, and I know Dodson came in before him in in that third quarter, which, you know, we like Dotson a lot, he, but just by, he just happened to play bad during that third quarter. He was doing a lot of dribbling, which we don't we don't usually recommend Dotson to do. We want him to be cutting around and shooting threes, maybe a couple dribbles, pull up jumper. But he was doing a lot of dribbling, not not necessarily his fault. But it's not like yeah, it's it's hard to complain about too many Dot, Dotson minutes yeah. because I mean ju- I was just watching him on offense, and the guy never stops moving. He is always just cutting and juking and faking and like he must just be such a pain to defend but uh, you know you look at his stat line he was one for six from the field he finished with just two points he was minus 12 on the game um so i mean his box score stats look pretty atrocious but at the same time when you're watching him play i'm sitting there thinking like i like his energy i like what he's doing out there and i mean sometimes Um, the ball doesn't go in i'm not i'm not not saying that's I understand why he was in, why Dotson was in the game instead of Dennis Smith Jr. It just didn't work out. Yeah, and I think just going back to the positives, um, Taj Gibson. When in in the first quarter, he got two quick fouls in like two minutes, and then he sat the rest of the half. He didn't see a single minute, and then he started the third quarter, and he was a huge part of that run to to open up 15-0 coming into the second half. Um, he finished the game five of six on the field for 11 points, four boards, and he was plus seven, which I believe was the highest on the team. Yeah, tied for the highest with Kevin Knox, who only got 10 minutes. But um, Gibson looked great. He hit. I mean, he was – Embiid wanted nothing to do with guarding him, it seemed like. Uh, Gibson was stretching out to the corner. He hit a nice corner three. He had that sweet spin move and two-handed dunk. Um, really juking Embiid. So I don't know the fact that Embiid, that Gibson only got 14 minutes, uh, was was pretty shocking to me, just considering how well he played and how effective he was in um, for the for the Knicks. Yeah, and it's it's especially shocking when you see that Mitchell Robinson only played 13 minutes because that's only 27 minutes right there. That means 21 minutes were were somewhere else, and that's Bobby Portis would play 24 minutes. <coughs> Yeah, and and like you said, like Mitchell Robinson getting only 13 minutes, I will say he did look completely overmatched by Embiid in this one. I that was a that was a huge matchup that I was looking at, especially to start the game, um, since Robinson essentially got the start with Gibson going out after the first two minutes. Um, but but Robinson just he's still jumping at every single pump yep. fake. It was driving me crazy. It's like Embiid doesn't want to take deeper than a 15 foot jumper like i mean he took 
several threes in this one. He was one of seven from three. He hit a big one, yeah, no doubt. The worst one. But like, yeah, he hit the backbreaker. But like for the most part, if he's outside of like ten to twelve feet, he is throwing pump fakes and trying to get to the free throw line. And he did. He got to the free throw line twelve times compared to the Knicks, who got to the line fifteen times in total. Um, and, and Bede was just—he was a real handful. And no one really. Ha- I mean, first of all, Randall did actually a pretty good job on him, and, and Gibson did too. But but Robinson and Knox just couldn't seem to to stop fouling him and, and couldn't really contain him in any way. Yeah, I mean, I I know exactly what you're talking about with Mitchell Robinson jumping at every every pump fake from Embiid, and it was it was very frustrating. And you know, Embiid's a big boy. He's averaging 22 and 11. He's actually shooting 38 percent from the year on three coming into this game. So maybe that's why he was jumping more than he should have been. But I think Embiid has said it before that he knows that he's not the best shooter. But he, people still jump at the pump fake. Yeah, and and you know Bobby Portis, like you said, got twenty four minutes. I I don't think there. Uh, I guess Fiz, maybe Fizdale's philosophy there was that Portis will stretch the defense. He'll force Embiid out of onto the perimeter, and and Portis mostly played against the Sixers' second units, which has Al For, Al Horford as the the center. Um, for the for those reserve units, and it actually worked some of the times. Like Portis was pulling Horford out of the paint um, in, in that second quarter. The the Knicks uh, bench unit actually played really well, led by Dennis Smith Jr. But Portis was a big part of that with the spacing, and uh, you know in the in the third and beginning of the fourth quarter that all kind of fell apart. It wasn't wasn't sustainable. But I don't know, man. Like. Uh, in general, this was a a mostly positive game. We saw, I mean, just really impressive things from Frank Nielakina, uh, the, the crunch time offense with the with the Morris Robinson pick and rolls were exciting. Um, but I, I don't know. You, you have anything else you wanna you wanna add here? Yeah, I mean, like like you said, it was a it was a positive game. We were losing by one with the ball with under a minute and a half left. So. We were we were right there with them. We had a 17 point lead at one point. You know, you'd you'd hope that we could hang on to that, but the Sixers really did lock down on D after that uh that 17 point lead. You could you could see it. You could see things changing, and so the Knicks got a little little uh they weren't ready for it, and things went bad. But they hung in there. I mean, they 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 didn't get blown out. The the it was 82 82 at one point. So. You would you would have expected that that big run from the Sixers to just continue, and then the Knicks lose certain lose by ten, and then they end up losing by whatever. But the Knicks hung in there until the very end. Like I said, losing by one with under a minute and a half left, but then back to back threes will that'll that'll kill you, especially that late in the game. Yeah, and uh, and I'm just sort of going through this box score a little bit more, and I see Kevin Knox. He only played ten minutes. And he ended up being plus seven on the game because he was a part of that sec- that uh, second quarter unit that did well. But I was watching him pretty closely, and his defense is still just such a problem. Um, the, the Sixers were running some uh, some pick and rolls, just trying to get Portis and Knox into pick and rolls, and it was it was pretty ugly. Um, so that's just another thing I'm gonna be looking for because 
as as nice of a stroke as he has, and it'd be nice to see him get more shots up. It's just it's pretty pretty frustrating. I'm watching him play defense, but but on the on the flip side, um, he's consistently been uh, a pretty bad passer. But this year he's he's actually shown some strides there. So I don't know if you saw in the second quarter he got a rebound and is and just like as soon as he got that rebound he looked up and threw a, a two-handed over the head outlet pass like Kevin Love style. And he he hit, um, oh, he hit someone. Oh yeah, he hit Dotson. Um, I think it was Dotson for an and one. I may have gotten that wrong, but he hit someone for an and one in transition. It was just like such a beautiful pass. Um, hit him right in the pocket. But uh, it was it was nice to see Mitch, or Mitch uh, Knox even have that awareness to do that, and then the touch on that pass. So. I don't know. I like I say, like all season, I'm looking for these little improvements or things that you've never seen the players do before, and kind of seeing where where they're getting better. So that was encouraging, at least um, from Knox's part. Yeah, he played quarterback in high school. So did he really? I think he said that. I think there was a they were playing someone. Th- they were throwing around a, a basketball like it was a football at practice the other day, and Knox said he played QB in high school. I assume he only played for a couple of years because usually when you're good at sports, they tell you to, to not play football anymore so you don't get injured. But I have no idea. I'm speculating. I know that he played and quarterback. I know he said that. Well, he, yeah, he threw this pass kind of like a two-handed over-the-head hey. pass that you uh, you rarely see from the quarterback I, position. I never, I, no one said he was a good quarterback. <laughs> Um. Yeah, and then and then we talked a little bit about Barrett. I I thought he kind of struggled in this you know one. What? Uh, ben Ben Simmons is a tough matchup for him. We got to talk about quickly. Barrett's dunk was worth worth the price of admission. He had a he had a tip slam where he just went like flying over Al Horford, or, or I think it was Al Horford, and he just put it down. And then he started staring at his right hand. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. So he, that was I guess we could change it and say he had a good game. And you know what I liked about that is they showed the bench's reaction, and the most excited guy in the bench was Alonzo Trier, good. which was kind of cool because he got another DNP coach's decision, and he has not been a part of this rotation lately. And, and people, I think a lot of fans, consider him sort of a head case. But uh, I don't, he, he was really hyped at that moment. He was very, very excited for Barrett. So I thought that was I, – I made a little note of that. thought that was cool to see. That's good. You really – you got to have a good bench mob if you want to be a good team. Well, what's the point of even throwing down, like, a cool one-handed tip slam if you're not going to have an excited bench about yeah, it? Exactly. What? That's um, why Mitch dunks every play. Smart. Uh one thing I noted in general is like this game was was super physical. Like the the Knicks are one of the best rebounding teams in the league, uh, but but they had a hard time. With, I mean, Embiid is an absolute monster, and he only f- he finished with twelve rebounds. Um, but in, in general, just there was a lot of jostling, a lot of elbows and shoulders, and, and it was one of the more physical games I can remember seeing, which was nice to see because like. I know I've been a little critical of the Knicks in the past for like them talking so much about their dog mentality without actually showing it. But in this one, they were, they were really taking it to Philadelphia in a lot of ways. And, and I don't know, Marcus Morris got into it with Embiid on that one play. 
and it just it's it's kind of upsetting because did, did you see that play? Greg? I did, and then there was like a five minute stoppage where they just had to talk about it. It was it was dumb. It was a ridiculously long review of that play, which ended up being a, a double technical between Morrison and Bede, and then a flagrant one on Morris, which was a bummer because so it, it happened after a made shot by Philadelphia. So they already got like those two points, and then Embiid went to the line um, to take the flagrant, and then they got the ball back, and Embiid hit another jumper. So it was like a five-point possession, which was um, – which was a major part of their comeback um, and, and sort of helped swing the momentum. And, and one of these days, I just want Morris to like, uh, I like him being a tough guy, but I feel like he has to do it without hurting the team. And I, I don't see him do that a lot. I feel like every time he kind of like put, puts on this tough guy act, it's, it's to the detriment of the team. Have, have you noticed that? Uh, I, I have not noticed that, but that sounds, sounds like it could be true. Whenever you're getting a technical, it's, it's a, not helpful, usually, unless you know the coach is trying to fire the team up. But I mean, when your best players getting technicals, if he is the best player, I said he was last podcast, but who knows? Well, I think he, I think he helped his case in this one. Um, we didn't even read his line, but he ended up with 22 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists uh, to just two turnovers. He was plus five on the game. He was eight of 21 from the field. And that includes four of seven from three. So that means he was just uh, four of 14 from two, which is not great. But, uh, but he made up with it a little, made up for it a little bit with his three point shooting. Um, if yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think Morris is a, is a good call, probably for the best player right now. And if he can keep. Keep up those uh, those passing numbers and the assists. Like that's what I, that's what you really want to see. Because the main criticism that people have of him is that he doesn't make his teammates better. He's all ISO mid rangers, which he is a lot of it. But if he can if he can keep dishing the ball, like <laughs> I mean, he won't get six assists per game. But even in like the three four range, that's what I'd be looking for. Yeah, I mean, his career high is two and a half assists per game in twenty five in twenty fifteen sixteen with the Pistons. So. Hopefully we can get up to that at least. He's at 1.2 right now. That'd be more than double. Well, I got a couple more notes here. Um, I, I guess I should say that Josh Richardson was out this game with a hip injury, so the, the Sixers weren't at completely full strength. Um, I know J Richardson's kind of been there like one of their primary initiators, and he's one of their better perimeter defenders, so that's that's important to note, I guess. Um, and then the Sixers came into this game 4-0 and at home. The, the Knicks were close to handing them their first home loss of the season. That would have been pretty cool, but, um, you know, maybe next time. And then and then one thing they noted on the broadcast here was that the Knicks will play their next 11, or including this one, will end up playing 11 consecutive games against playoff teams from last season. And I do think that includes Golden State. So maybe take that with a grain of salt but as we've all noted like this upcoming stretch is is projecting to be pretty brutal so so let's uh let's hold on to our hats here and try and and try and uh find those little positive nuggets where we can find them and i mean fortunately over the last four games or so the knicks have looked like an actual basketball team what are they t two and two with the loss at the buzzer and then this loss now 
Or not at the buzzer with one with two seconds left against the Hornets. No, yeah, they're they're playing actual basketball. Like they they've been they've looked a lot more competitive. Their offense looks a lot better with more movement. Um, I, I'm definitely encouraged by by all that. And their defense looks looks more aggressive and and they're taking more pride on that side of the ball too. So, you know, I'm expecting them to be competitive in a lot of these upcoming games. Um, whereas you know earlier in the season we were kind of seeing more blowouts. I, I'm I, I feel like this team has started to develop kind of more of an, an edge and an identity and a, and a little confidence despite these losses and that they'll be more competitive going forward. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and a lot of those blowouts were to, to bad teams. We saw the Cavaliers blow them out. The Bulls kind of blew them out the other day, which was mostly Kobe White's doing at the end of the game. Um, and then the, the Kings, who were not doing well, blew them out. The Kings have since had a, a resurgence of sorts, maybe the Maybe because of the confidence the Knicks gave them, but hopefully they're they're <laughs> turning it around to be at least a watchable product. That's all we ask. Just just be a watchable product. Such a low bar. That's what that's all we want. But I mean, tonight's game was fun for the most part until the until it fell apart at the end. That was that was a fun one to watch. And there have been many. There have been several games this season that. I can't say that about <laughs> so, you know, little little victories I suppose. Um, all right, Greg. Well, we're we're kind of at our mark here for these midweek pods. But do you have anything else you want to add or? Well, no. I think we we covered it. We ran through the whole team. Crunch time. Second quarter. First quarter. Third quarter. We did it all. We did it out of order because that's our way. But uh, no, yeah. I think we got to it all. So. If you're listening to this, we appreciate it. Uh, make sure you you subscribe, you rate, you review, do all that stuff for Talking Nicks. Follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Talking Nicks. Um, we're putting out videos and, and content. Uh, and look out for our Monday morning podcasts. Drop in those are usually kind of weeks in review and, and more big picture topics. So um definitely tune into that as well uh and yeah thanks for listening we will talk to y'all soon let's go Knicks.